150. We're going to be closing our series in the Psalms today. Psalm 150 is the final psalm, of course, in the Bible. There's 150 psalms. And it serves as the perfect way to close this book because it's saying that all of life and everybody on planet Earth is called to praise the Lord. It's a very simple psalm, if you will, and it's a very uh, clear message. The call is to praise the Lord, everyone. So let's read it together. It's found in your bulletin. And if you've got a Bible, please turn there. It's right, right in the middle of the Bible. Psalm 150 says this, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His highest heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with the sounding cymbals. Praise him with the loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There's a repeated phrase in there. You may have caught it. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And Psalm 148, Psalm 149, and then ending with Psalm 150 all have this repeated phrase over and over. This is the theme that the Holy Spirit is inspiring us to hear this morning. Praise the Lord. We're going to look at four things from this psalm. First of all is this, praise the Lord everyone. Second, praise the Lord everywhere. Praise the Lord in everything. And then finally, praise the Lord in every way. First of all, we're starting in in verse 6, in the last verse. Praise the Lord everyone. Psalm 150 verse 6 says this, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So that would mean animals, that means basically everything that breathes, praise the Lord, but specifically it's calling out for all of humanity to praise the Lord. And Christians believe that the entire universe was created by God and for God, and therefore, in light of that reality, we all have a duty to praise the Lord, but even more than that, what I want us to see is this, every single person on planet earth, because they are created in the image of God, is hardwired, if you will, to praise and worship. You can be the most stringent atheist you know, and somehow you found yourself here today. Welcome, if that's you. Even if you're the most committed atheist you know, I'm hoping you might agree, and I doubt you will if you're an atheist, but maybe you will, that every single person, including yourself, praises something or someone, that we're all hardwired to praise, to worship, and to lift up something, someone, something. We're all inherently doing this. Now, some people say, you know what, it's fine to believe in God. In our culture today, this is kind of where we are. Many, many folks are like, it's great that you believe in God, and it's fine that you feel this way, but would you please keep this locked up in your own house at home. You know what I mean? Like, let's privatize your faith. Keep it to yourself. Don't talk about it in the public sphere. Don't have feelings about it. Don't bring it up, for goodness sake, at work or wherever you go. Like, it's cool if you have faith. Would you please just kind of keep that contained over here in a box to yourself, right? Right? Are you with me? Okay. (laughs) I need to know you. All right, so, yes, 
people say, yes, keep it over here. But what I want you to see is this. Whatever you actually praise, whether you're a Christian or not, whatever you value, whatever you give have worth, because that's what this word praise means. It means to, to give worth to somebody or something or great value. Whatever you value or give worth to, and the higher you give worth or value to something, the more you integrate that into your life on a day-to-day basis. You can't help it. So no matter who you are, no matter what you value or have worth or ultimately are praising, right, you will talk about it. You will bring that to work. You can't help because whatever you actually love, praise, give value or worth to, in an ultimate sense, it goes with you. You're passionate about it. You think about it. You talk about it. You have emotion about it. You post on social media about it. You give pictures. We're all annoyed with you about it, right? Because this is what you're all about, and it's integrated. We praise whatever we love. We praise whatever we find most valuable to us. And so, I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan. Am I alone? Anybody else? And so, I integrate my life around the Arizona Cardinals. You don't have to tell me like, hey, be passionate about football. You don't have to do that. Like, you don't have to say, make sure this week you read uh, up on the Cardinals and see about their, their draft and how they did in the upcoming draft, but also how do they do in free agency right now in the last couple weeks. You didn't have to tell me to get excited about what happened last week in free agency. You don't have to tell me to set my DVR for the games during the season. I just do that. Why? Because my life is integrated around my fandom. I have emotions about it. I have feelings about it. I think about it. I read about it. If there were songs about it, I would listen to them, right? <laughs> this might be idolatry. But this is true of all of us. Whatever we value, prize, whatever we praise and have, you know, this kind of assignment to, this is the way we operate. We all do. We're integrated. It's true of me in NCAA basketball, and I'm not even that big of a basketball fan anymore. There's this great song by Willie Nelson, Mama, Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be, what? Cowboys. Cowboys. Somebody should have written a song called Mama, Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Boilermaker Fans. (laughs) I was born in Lafayette, Indiana. Okay, home hospital. I was raised at Purdue. My dad taught there. I started going to Purdue basketball games when I was five years old, and I was cursed with this fandom. I wish I had been born, you know, in, Ash- or in North Carolina, where I could have been a North Carolina fan or a Duke fan or something better than Purdue because we are one and done every year, right? We get in the tournament, I get all cranked up, I watch it, and we lose the first round. Now, What's funny about that is this, because I'm not nearly the basketball fan that I am the the football fan, I will watch the game, and it'll be Purdue on the NCAA tournament, just like this weekend, and as I'm watching, I'm starting to get emotional and intense, and my voice is getting loud, and she's like, you haven't watched a Purdue basketball game all year. You don't know any of the players' names. Why are you so emotional? Because I am so connected to Purdue. I'm so identified with it emotionally. I can't help it. I praise Purdue. I have worth and value for it. Now, luckily, you'll find out that these are not my highest values in life. These are not the things that I praise the most, football and basketball. I have greater things that I value, things that I prize more, things that are more worth to me. My family, for example. You don't have to tell me to talk about my family. You certainly don't have to tell me to be emotional about my family. 
My love for my wife and for my kids is integrated into my life so completely that it's what I'm about. And this cuts me to the bone because basically what this is saying is this, is that if you actually praise the Lord, and we're all called to praise him with everything that has breath, your life begins to be integrated around him about his glory and about his praise and about his fame. This week I read an article uh, that a, a man named David Foster Wallace, it's actually an interview of him. He was an American novelist. He wrote a, a book called Infinite Jest. He was a short story writer and an essayist and a professor of English and I don't believe was a Christian and he passed away in 2008. And he wrote this, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly and when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Praise and worship are not a strange thing. And to take praise and worship into your private life and into work and into your neighborhood, into all your relationships, integrate into all your, this is not a strange thing. This is what we do with whatever we praise. You begin to shape your whole life around that which you honor, that which you glory, that which is ultimate worth to you. Whether you're a Christian or not, this is what we all do. And the call and the hard call because the realization is, I think, is you're thinking about this if you're a believer, is that hardly any of us are where we need to be. Integrating our life in such a way that our focus and attention is on the praise of the Lord. Next, I want us to see this. Praise the Lord everywhere. Praise the Lord everyone. Praise the Lord everywhere. The psalmist writes in verse one, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, Praise him in his mighty heavens. And in the sanctuary, what that means basically is here on earth in Israel as they worshiped in the sanctuary. And then it's saying also in the mighty heavens. And I think what the psalmist is saying, of course, by insinuation is that there's on earth we worship him and in heaven and everywhere in between as the entire universe is called to praise him. But basically, what I believe the psalmist is calling us to here is this. Where should we worship? We should be worshiping the Lord on earth as it is in heaven. As we think about what's going on in heaven, as we peer into heaven, you know, thinking about what, what it's like there, we are called, it says in Hebrews that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And that witness, that group of people are the saints that have gone on before us in Hebrews. That we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses in essence is cheering us from the kingdom that will come and saying, keep the faith, keep praising the Lord, keep finding your hope in him as on earth as it is in heaven. St. Augustine, the bishop of Hippo and one of the greatest men in all of church history wrote this. He said, our thoughts in this present life should turn to the praise of God because it is in praising God 
that we shall rejoice forever in the life to come. And nobody can be ready for the next life unless he trains himself for it now. So we praise God during our earthly life, and at the same time, we make our petitions to him. Our praise is expressed with joy, our petitions with yearning. We have been promised something we do not yet possess. The more we make our life about praising the Lord and integrating our life around praising the Lord, Augustine says, the more we are preparing ourselves for the kingdom that will come. Whether you long for that kingdom, whether you believe and believe in that kingdom, that kingdom is coming. There is the kingdom of God where everything and everyone will be fully and completely integrated their lives around praising God and loving their neighbor as themselves. This is the kingdom of God, and juxtaposed to that is the kingdom of self, and you and I will spend eternity in one of those two places, either in the kingdom of God, where it is all about the praise of God and the love of our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, or the kingdom of self, where everyone, this is what hell is like, is utterly committed to their own selfish, greedy desires. You're either becoming a person that is ready for that, Augustine is saying, and is becoming that kind of person or the person that is ready for the kingdom of the self. Now, this coming kingdom, I've got good news, is not just an unending eternal church service, okay? So we say praise the Lord, and everything is going to be centered around the praise of the Lord. That doesn't mean that the kingdom that is coming is just one long, unending church service. It's not like that, but it's a people that are given over completely to the praise of God in all of life. How many of you have ever shopped for a house, purchased a home? Today, what we do is we begin to shop for a house, right? And we get online and, and we begin to, to look. This has got to be really maddening to realtors, I think, the, the internet thing. But you get online and you first begin to say, like, shop, now this one might work, this one might work. And then finally, after you've shopped online enough, you, you finally call a realtor. And you get somebody to go take you to go see a home, right? And the thing about shopping for a house is you're not really looking just for a house. You're looking, you're actually looking for a home. And so your realtor will drive you around and you'll stop at a certain place. And, and usually what they do, they're sneaky like this. They'll start with those first few houses they know you're probably not going to like, but they kind of want you to get adjusted to the market. And here's what a couple are like. And then, and they kind of crescendo at the end, you know, like, oh, you know, the last house. And, and then they want you to be like, yes, that's what our realtor did. So the first couple, you're like, yeah, you know, you may not even get out of the, the car. You drive up, like, not home. Do not feel at home here, right? Our realtor, who is now uh, a part of this church, actually, <laughs> actually sitting here today, 13 years ago, took us around, and, and we finally came to this house, the house that we're now in. And he said, can you see it? I'm like, what? It's like, I see, I see people over here, like a party going on. I see, I hear music playing. I can see literally the church starting in this living room over here. I see this place packed with parties, people sharing meals and all this stuff. He goes, can you see it? And we were like, we can see it. We can. This is home. This feels like home. My wife was like, yes, we're home. And basically, listen, C.S. Lewis had this, because of Augustine, I think, was inspired by Augustine, had this view that everyone 
is heading in one of two trajectories. You are becoming a person that feels more at home in the kingdom of God, where it's all about the praise of God and love of neighbor, or you are becoming, again, a person that's on a trajectory that will only feel at home in the kingdom of self, where it's all about you, your own glory, your own selfish desires. Which trajectory are you on? Which direction is your life heading? Are you becoming more and more a person that's wired to praise the Lord and love your neighbors, you love yourself? Are you being overcome by the kingdom of self? Your life will be defined more and more by God's glory and praise or more and more by your own praise and glory. Those are the two choices we have. Third, I want us to see this. Praise the Lord in everything. Praise the Lord everyone. Praise the Lord everywhere on earth as it is in heaven. And praise the Lord in everything. Psalm 150 verse 2 says this, Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. This verse lists one of the reasons we are to praise the Lord, and it's His mighty deeds, His goodness, His greatness. And even in the midst of difficulty and trial, the, the way out of the difficulty and trial is to remember all that God has done for you and will for you and, and all the ways that God is great. James 1, verses 2 through 3 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you meet trials of various kinds. If you're hearing that for the first time, that doesn't make sense. Like, usually when you say, like, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you win the lottery. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you get a raise. Consider it pure joy whenever, like, you know, your kids are born healthy and everything's fine. Consider it pure joy when the doctor calls and says, you don't have cancer anymore. But that's not what James says. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever... You don't win the lottery, and you won't, by the way. I mean, statistically, it's highly improbable. And consider it pure joy when you get fired instead of getting a raise. Consider it pure joy when the doctor calls and says, you have cancer. Whenever you have various trials, he says, consider it pure joy, knowing that this is the testing of your faith, and it produces steadfastness. It's easy to praise the Lord when things are good. We know this, right? And it's sickening and syrupy and annoying when someone's just like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, I'm channeling some personalities of people I know. It's like when, when yeah, well, things are great for you, of course. You can say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But what about when times are tough? When you have a difficult trial in life and then you say, not sappy and syrupy and sweet, but praise the Lord. In that moment, True faith is revealed. The testing of your faith in trial, it, it reveals true faith. It demonstrates whether faith is real or not. We've all seen it. Somebody becomes a Christian and life is fine, but wait until the trial, until you actually know whether that faith can live under the test of, of difficulty. This past week, I was having lunch with a friend of mine. He's a fellow dad at our school, fellow baseball dad. We're having lunch during a baseball tournament on Friday. And I, I know a little bit of his story, and I was asking him about it. A few years ago, uh, his wife walked in one day and just said, we're getting a divorce. We're done. And no matter what he said, no matter what he did, it just didn't matter, and, and they just continued down that trail. Uh, they, they ended up getting a divorce. That was a trial. That actually led, in the midst of that trial, him becoming a Christian. 
and I asked him, how's it going? How's it, how's it, what, you know, are you dating anyone? What's happening? And he said, you know, it's been really hard. He's a single dad. He's a faithful dad raising these kids. He, he's this faithful father. He, he's growing in his faith. And then he finally met someone that he was starting to date. And she didn't live, live here in town. And uh, she lives out of town. And some friends introduced him. And everything seemed to be going great and wonderful. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, she quit returning his text, quit calling, quit emailing, and has just cut off communication. But he kind of looked up and he goes, but praise the Lord. And it wasn't this sick, syrupy, sweet, I have to tell you this because you're a pastor. It was man to man going, you know what? It's okay. I'm, I'm lonely. I'm sad. I'm praying God provides somebody for me someday, but I don't have to have this because God's got me. I mean, he literally said all this. And it said to me, this is true faith. When you can praise the Lord in all things, are you a person that's praising the Lord in all things or only when things are good? True faith perseveres under trial and test. We praise the Lord in everything. What I love about the Psalms, and we keep saying it needs to become the rhythm of your life and the practice of your faith, is that there's a psalm for all environments today. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, it's all good, it's all upbeat, it's all joyful. But there's also the time when King David is trapped in sin and broken and humbled by awful, grievous sin in his life. How do you praise the Lord in the midst of that? David shows us, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Even in confession of deep sin, what we learn is the joy of forgiveness. Do we sin that grace may increase? Of course not, but there is joy in repentance, in true repentance, and joy in forgiveness, and praise of the Lord in the midst of it. What about when depressed? What about in times of trial and difficulty? We went to Psalm 42 in our series and saw where it said, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet again praise him. And in the midst of Psalm 42, he wasn't saying, oh, I have to get over this depression. Like he was living in the depression saying, my tears have been my food day and night. An honest assessment of his sadness and depression and melancholy. But in the midst of it, he was able to praise the Lord. The Psalms of Lament challenge us. Some of you are just happy, happy people. You're up all the time. Well, then there's these psalms of lament that challenge you to learn to praise the Lord during difficulty. And some of you are melancholy and you love the psalms of lament. And then these happy psalms come along like Psalm 150 and you learn to be challenged to have a more joyful heart in the midst of difficulty. Finally, praise the Lord in every way. Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord everywhere. Praise the Lord in all things and praise the Lord in every way. It says in verses three through five, praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with the loud clashing cymbals. Praise is about joy. It's what you get excited about. It's what you, it's what you have value and worth in. And what's interesting is how the psalmist is connecting praise of the Lord and music, and we do the same. In fact, we do it to such an extreme in the evangelical church today that when we talk about praise and worship, what we literally mean is music. And that's a very truncated view of worship. 
Worship is all of life, first of all. All of life is worship, not, not just a part of a church service, okay? So singing a couple songs is not simply praise and worship. All of life is worship, and we'll say things like this, like, uh, I wanted to miss the sermon. I wanted to be there for the praise and worship. But all of life, even what we're doing right now is praise and worship. However, I want to say, look how the psalmist connects this idea of praise and music, and often does throughout the psalms. He says this, praise him, praise him with, with the trumpet sound. We just did that. Praise him with the lute and harp. N- no harp yet. If any of you play the harp, you know, come talk to us. And, and it's kind of like, hey, there's upbeat music and there's relaxed, chilled music. Both of them praise the Lord. I'm assuming the harp is more, you know, relaxed uh, music, kind of a low-key sound. Maybe you can rock out the harp. I, don't, I haven't seen it, but, uh, but then it goes on to say, but there's also exuberant praise with tambourine and dance. Dance. I can't get you guys to clap and act joyful even in the slightest, let alone dance. I'm not even sure I would be comfortable with that, but do you see how we're being challenged in our worship? Throughout the Psalms, it talks about raising your hand, being, hands, being passionate in worship. Symbols, loud clashing symbols. We have so much to learn in worship, and especially at our church. For whatever reason, we have this collective personality of like being reserved. Those of you who aren't, would you please help us and press us out? I would love for there to be more clapping and more emotion, you know, because why? Well, I'm, I'm just not that way personality-wise. Guys will tell me this. I just, I don't feel comfortable, and I don't like expressing myself in public and singing and, and so forth. But yeah, but take you to a football game and watch you. Hell's bells comes down, the third down, and you're raising your hands in worship going, come on, you know, you're screaming, you maybe even are crying, like you're moved to emotion, and you come to church, and it's just like, don't look at me, don't talk to me, can I get an amen, all right, (laughs) oh, wow, wow, okay, don't get too weird here. Look, some of you are never going to feel that way. It's cultural. But do you see that biblically, though, we're called to rejoice in the Lord? Some of you are only going to do that in your heart. That's fine. Some of you want to express yourselves, and you should. Even, even with tambourine and loud clashing cymbals and even with dance and joy, joy in the Lord. Now, I want to close by challenging us with a few questions and a few points. And it's this, what we praise in our heart is demonstrated in our actions and emotions. It just is. Whether you're a Christian or not, this is just to be human. Whatever you praise in your heart is demonstrated in your actions and your emotions. It is, always. You don't have to tell me to be emotionally connected to my children. You don't have to tell me to be, you know, to have my emotions and my mind and my thoughts and my whole life integrated about my wife. I just am. Whatever your heart and your mind, whatever you have worth in, whatever you value, whatever is most praiseworthy to you, can be God or something else. It could be money. Let's talk about emotion. Let's talk about passion. Talk about research, your mind being captivated. Maybe your money is your thing. The question is this. Whatever you're worshiping and praising, whatever you're finding most valuable to you and the highest worth in your heart and your life, is it freeing you 
Is it freeing you in your life and is it making your life flourish in such a way that you're no longer becoming a selfish person, that you're actually becoming a person that's loving other people as much as you love yourself and loving your God with all of your heart? Only God, only praise of him is leading us more and more to be ready for the kingdom that is coming and it is coming. Jesus' resurrection from the dead guarantees that the kingdom of God is coming. And when it comes in fullness, you don't want to miss this. The entire earth is going to be be restored to the way it was supposed to be. And everyone in harmony and unity of all nationalities, all races, all cultures, all backgrounds will be unified in one voice to praise the Lord fully and finally. The alternative is to live in the kingdom of self where the, the one voice will be unified, but every individual will be seeking their own glory for all of eternity. You don't want to miss this coming kingdom. The beauty and the reality of it. What we praise in our heart is demonstrated in our actions and emotions. We're integrated around it. And so I ask you, what in your day and week is moving you towards becoming the type of person that feels deeply at home in the kingdom of God? What is moving you in that direction? What are the liturgies of your life, the rhythms of your life, the things that are pointing you more and more into being ready to find yourself at home in the kingdom of God? And then what is keeping you from that as well? What are the rhythms? What are the the patterns? What are the liturgies of your life that are moving you in a direction in such a way that you would maybe find yourself more at home in the kingdom of self? Because those are the two alternatives. This week, we have an opportunity to enter into this great story of the gospel. It's Holy Week. Would you please join us Friday as we celebrate Good Friday? It was so bad for Jesus, and it was so sweet and good for you. Because everything that you've done in your life to separate you from him, every every selfish act, every selfish thought, every selfish emotion, everything that would separate you from the kingdom of God, Do you know where it was put and placed? It was placed on Jesus Christ on the cross. And when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then later it's finished. Do you know what was going on there? When he cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because in that moment, God the Father had forsaken God the Son. As he was bearing the sin of the world on his shoulders. Yours, mine. And then when he said it's finished, I've got good news for you. It was finished because it was finished. Not his earthly life, the payment, the penalty that he paid for your behalf. And he died. And then you know we'll gather on Sunday morning then to to worship him because he, he left death and hell in its grave. He rose again from the dead. And you and I are united by faith to him in such a way that our resurrection is also guaranteed. His resurrection is a down payment and a guarantee of our coming resurrection in him because we have union with him. And I could go two hours more, but today I will not. Let's pray.